This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this week on Face the Nation, the stakes could not be higher as we enter a new phase in the Ukraine crisis. There is even more pressure on Vladimir Putin to halt his plans to invade, but is it too late? We'll have a report from the front lines in Ukraine, as well as news on the 11th hour diplomatic efforts and the military maneuvers. Plus, we'll talk with all sides of the conflict, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, plus both the Russian and the Ukrainian ambassadors to the U.S. We'll also look at the efforts to defend against cyber attacks tied to Russia and the potential economic impact here at home. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Today marks the beginning of a new phase of the Ukraine crisis and all eyes are on Vladimir Putin, whose military has now surrounded Ukraine on three sides with approximately 190,000 Russian personnel. U.S. intelligence indicates that half of those military forces are in position to attack. Russian military exercises in Belarus near Ukraine's northern border were scheduled to end today. Moscow had initially said it would pull out as soon as the drills were over, but this morning there is word that they will remain. President Biden has called an emergency meeting of his National Security Council later today. We begin in Ukraine with CBS News foreign correspondent Charlie Daggett. Good morning. For Ukrainian commanders we've spoken to, this war is already underway. They took us to the front lines in the east where there's been a dramatic spike in shelling. And the extended Russian military exercises in Belarus only adds to the anxiety. The Russian military on full flex in the most elaborate show of force since this crisis began. Testing hypersonic and ballistic missiles as part of nuclear exercises under the watchful eye of President Putin himself. From long-range bombers by air to submarine launches in the Black Sea and by land to Belarus, where troops are edging ever closer to the Ukrainian border, described by the U.S. Defense Secretary as uncoiling and poised to strike. In eastern Ukraine itself, an artillery bombardment sent soldiers and journalists scrambling for cover, including further back, us. Okay, so there've just been a couple of explosions. The kids are running, and we've been told to get into our buses now. We are as close as we can get to the front lines. And this just shows you how dynamic the situation is here. Commanders told us the ongoing conflict here suddenly took a dramatic turn on Thursday when Russian-backed rebels intensified the shelling of Ukrainian military positions and civilian areas alike. Well, the whole front line, uh, which we think that just uh, another confirmation that it's orchestrated by Russia. And you had seen nothing like this in the past few years? Yeah, nothing like this. Separatist leaders have ordered the evacuation of women children and the elderly to Russia, they say, for their own safety. Residents turned refugees, now used as weapons in a propaganda war. Ukrainian commanders tell us that the increase in shelling and spreading panic among the civilian population are aimed at inventing or provoking the excuse President Vladimir Putin needs in order to justify an invasion. Margaret? Charlie Daggett, thank you. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky is back in Kyiv following a day trip to Munich where he met with his country's Western allies and sharply criticized them for appeasing Vladimir Putin. 
Our Christina Ruffini is there at the Munich Security Conference. You are telling me that it's 100 percent that the war will start in a couple of days. When Then what are you waiting for? President Vladimir Zelensky insisted on delivering his message to NATO allies in person, that their policies are appeasing Russia, and his country is paying the price. We don't need your sanctions after the bombardment will happen and after our country will be fired at or after we will have no borders and after we will have no economy or parts of our countries will be occupied. Why would we need those sanctions then? Vice President Harris, who met with Zelensky on Saturday, said she wouldn't second-guess his motives. He came here to make a very clear point that he does not stand alone. But insisted that even the threat of sanctions will work because they're directed at specific financial institutions and individuals close to President Putin. These are some of the greatest sanctions, if not the, the, the strongest, that we've ever issued. And it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. And despite Zelensky's in-person plea, she says that position has not changed. We cannot take lightly or speak lightly about what we are prepared to do because we do understand the cost we are exacting. And it is severe. The vice president left just a little while ago. She's heading back to Washington to join that national security meeting later today. Margaret? Our Christina Ruffini in Munich. And we're joined now by CBS News national security correspondent David Martin. Good to have you with us again, David. The president was very clear that he is convinced by U.S. intelligence that this invasion will happen, that President Putin decided to do it. How is he that certain? Because the intelligence says that Russian troops have actually received orders now to proceed with the invasion. So not only are they moving up closer and closer to the border into these attack positions, but the commanders on the ground are making specific plans for how they would maneuver in their sector of the battlefield. They're, they're doing everything that American commanders would do once they got the order to proceed. We know Vladimir Putin gives himself many options. From what you know, what is the option he seems to be setting himself up for? How does this play out? Well, he is definitely giving himself the option for a full-scale invasion of the country, which would begin with an attack on the capital of Kiev. It would and begin there? It would begin there. With an aerial assault? An area, well, a cyber assault to begin with. Um, but it will look much like the shock and awe campaign that the U.S. unleashed on the city of Baghdad in 2003 when it invaded Iraq. Cyber weapons didn't exist back in 2003, so that is a new ingredient. And you would think cyber would come first to knock out communications, knock out power, but then they would be followed by missile strikes and airstrikes and special operations raids to seize key parts of the city, radio, TV stations. And then you could see the units rolling from the border north of Kyiv down on either side of the city to isolate uh, the city and, and prevent the government from escaping into a government in exile. When you compare it to a shock and awe, there is a certain amount of precision that's assumed with that. Um, precision is not necessarily a, in the Russian playbook for military operations. I mean, what should we be preparing for? Well, remember, the Russians have had 18 years to go to school on, on how we conducted that uh, shock and awe campaign. So they, they have developed precision-guided weapons. Um, I would expect them to use them because they're, they're more effective. Uh, if he wants to have this country back in the Russian Empire, he doesn't want to destroy right. Kyiv. He wants, a, he wants a working government. He doesn't want to find what we found when we got to uh, Baghdad to, to find this uh, country totally stripped of its infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to trying to swallow a country, I mean, the argument from the U.S. has been we've poured in weapons and training and helps the Ukrainians to be able to resist this kind of uh, occupation. Is that what we're looking for, uh, occupation here, or is this just like military coercion? Well, he's making the preparations for occupation. He has assembled a force that could uh, invade and take down most of the country. And now he has begun to 
mobilize reserves who would serve as the occupation force. Now, I'm sure he's going to do the least that it takes to achieve his goal. And if his, his goal is to bring Ukraine back into his sphere of influence, maybe he can do it by just taking down the capital. Mm -hmm. Maybe he can do it by cutting a bigger piece out of the East. But he is obviously making preparations to do whatever it takes. David Martin, great to have you and your insight. We go now to Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who was also in Munich and is here in Washington this morning. Good morning to you, Mr. Secretary. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, President Biden says Vladimir Putin has made up his mind to invade, but we spoke with Russia's ambassador earlier this morning, and he insists there's no invasion, no plan to invade, and it only has troops on its own soil. Do you have reason to believe Vladimir Putin is changing his mind? No, we don't. As President Biden said the other night, um, everything uh, we're seeing tells us that the decision we believe President Putin has made to, to invade is moving forward. We've seen that with uh, provocations created by the Russians or separatist forces over the weekend, false flag operations. Now the news uh, just uh, this morning that the quote-unquote exercises Russia was engaged in uh, in Belarus with 30,000 Russian forces that were supposed to end this weekend will now continue. Uh, because of tensions in eastern Ukraine, tensions created uh, by Russia and the separatist forces it backs there. We understand President Biden is calling a meeting of his National Security Council today. Uh, what decisions will be made at that meeting? Well, it's an opportunity to review the, uh, the latest information, the latest intelligence, to, uh, to check signals, to check plans. Um, I just came back from Munich with the vice president. Uh, she led our delegation uh, there to make sure that we are in lockstep with allies and partners on everything that we're going to do, both to see if we can still prevent uh, President Putin from carrying forth uh, his decision, and if not, uh, making sure that we're fully coordinated with allies and partners on the response. They've reiterated that massive consequences will follow if, uh, if President Putin carries forth with the, uh, the aggression. Well, you know, when we last spoke on January 23rd, you told me that if Russia engages in other tactics short of invasion, uh, hybrid actions, cyber attacks, efforts to bring a government down, there will be a swift, calibrated, united response. Aren't they doing all of those things right now? And where is the U.S. response? First of all, we've taken significant uh, action over the, uh, in recent months, uh, supplying uh, Ukraine with more defensive, uh, lethal defensive assistance. But those over the cyber last attacks year were just attributed by years. the White House on Friday. Mm. Those and, just uh, happened. And we've worked closely with, uh, with Ukraine to, uh, to, to ward them off, uh, to get uh, back up and running. We've now made an attribution to, uh, to Russia uh, for those cyber attacks. Uh, we're looking closely at the response that that, uh, uh, that, that may uh, call for. And we're doing all of this in coordination with allies and partners. Uh, if Russia commits the, the aggression uh, that, that may be in train, uh, all of that has been uh, uh, part of our, our plan, and we're, we're carrying it forward. You said that you will meet with Russia's top diplomat, but only if Russia does not invade. And, that's right. But it, it seems contradictory because it, what you were saying is that's tanks and that's planes. But does that mean Russia has carte blanche to continue cyber attacks, to continue funding separatists in the east? Uh, if it, they keep tensions at this low boil, is that acceptable to you? Will you still sit down and negotiate? It's, it's, uh, uh, it's not, well, two things. There are two separate things there. First of all, uh, it's not acceptable, and it's one of the things that we've talked about in some detail with allies and partners this weekend. That is a scenario by which Russia just keeps things at a, a low or medium boil, uh, and uh, there will be a response to that, too. But in terms of uh, engaging Russia, my job as a diplomat is to leave absolutely no stone unturned to see if we can prevent a war. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that I can do to do that, uh, I'm going to do it. President Biden has made very clear that he's prepared uh, to, to meet President uh, Putin at any time in any format if that can help prevent a war. And uh, as long as, uh, even if the die is cast, until it's settled, uh, until we know that uh, the, uh, the tanks are rolling, the planes are flying, and uh, the aggression has, uh, has fully begun, we're going to do everything we can to prevent it. But we're prepared either way, and we're prepared with uh, a response that will have massive consequences for Russia if yeah. it actually carries this through. You have consistently described sanctions as a deterrent, but I, I know you mm. heard President Zelensky really light into the Western allies uh, in that speech in Munich. And he accused you and the West of appeasement of Vladimir Putin over the past few years. He said, we don't need your sanctions after the bombardment or after we have no borders or after we have no economy or after parts of our country will be occupied. What are you waiting for? 
what are you waiting for? Um, I can't speak, uh, Margaret, to the last few years. I can speak to the last few months and to the last year. And in that period of time, the United States, again, has provided to Ukraine more assistance, including lethal uh, military assistance, defensive assistance, uh, more in the past year than at any time in any previous year. We have rallied other countries to stand uh, in support of Ukraine as well, to provide their own assistance. We've rallied other countries to make clear uh, and to put together in great detail the massive consequences that will befall Russia if it engages in this aggression. The purpose of that is to do everything we can to deter, to prevent a war, to deter the aggression. And uh, we don't want to pull the trigger until we have to, uh, because uh, we lose the deterrent effect. At the same time, uh, we also don't want to detail in public exactly what we're going to do, because that will forewarn Russia. It will be able to prepare uh, more effectively to try to mitigate the sanctions. So all of this is is very well thought through. And look, I recognize President Zelensky is in a very uh, difficult position as the leader of a country that is under siege by Russia. We are doing everything we can uh, to uh, both uh, help Ukraine defend itself and to make clear uh, what will happen to Russia if it uh, undertakes this aggression. Uh, when I spoke with the Russian ambassador, he referred to Crimea, that part of southern Ukraine that was annexed by Russia in 2014, as part of the Russian Federation. Will the U.S. Uh, in any way consider recognizing that, ceding that territory or any territories in the east of Ukraine as a diplomatic way out to avoid a larger war? No. No. Hard stop. That is not up for negotiation. That's correct. The president has said that the United States will continue to support Ukraine in the future after an invasion. If there is an occupation, does that mean the United States is committed to funding and arming an insurgency? President said that uh, we will, in the event of an invasion, double down on our support for Ukraine. And that means in terms of uh, security assistance, uh, economic assistance, diplomatic assistance, uh, political assistance, humanitarian assistance, you name it. Secretary Blinken, Good luck this week. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, Margaret. Good to be with you. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We turn now to NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. He joins us from Brussels. Good morning to you, Mr. Secretary. Uh, I will get right to the latest reporting from CBS, which is that intelligence shows Russian troops have actually received orders to proceed with the invasion. And as David Martin reported, that goes down to the detail of how they would maneuver in their sector of the battlefield. How will NATO respond to this? So our main uh, responsibility is to make sure that all uh, allies are uh, uh, safe uh, and secure and that we uh, provide uh, uh, deterrence and defense to them. And that's the reason why we already have increased our presence, uh, military presence of NATO forces in the eastern part of the alliance. You'd be increasing that? And also that? why we are ready to uh, further reinforce uh, that uh, presence if there is an attack on uh, Ukraine. Uh, this has been a, a crisis in the making for a long time. So therefore, we have gradually increased our presence and, and as I said, ready to further reinforce that. Now that Russia and Belarus have said those troops are staying in the north of Ukraine, does that 
mean NATO has to either, uh, you know, increase more advanced weaponry in the region or move in more troops? Or is that still yet to be decided? We have already, uh, since 2014, uh, when Russia uh, invaded and annexed uh, Crimea and, and, and started to destabilize eastern Ukraine, Donbass, uh, we have uh, reinforced uh, and implemented the biggest reinforcement of our collective defense since the end of the Cold War, uh, with bat groups in the Baltic region, um, in, in Poland, uh, uh, with increased defense spending uh, every year since 2014 and with the uh, high readiness of the mm -hmm. uh, NATO forces. Uh, so uh, we have implemented significant reinforcements of, uh, of NATO already. And then over the last weeks and months, we have augmented, uh, added even more forces and troops to our presence in the East. Um, um, I think what we are now faced with is a new normal uh, in European security. Uh, we see Russia being willing to contest fundamental values for uh, our security uh, by the use of force and also by the threat of the use of force. And, uh, and therefore, uh, I, uh, we have started all of the work on, on more longer-term adjustment of NATO's uh, posture, NATO's presence right. um, along the eastern flank. We also know that U.S projects there could be as many as 5 million or more refugees created by an invasion. What will NATO do if Russia weaponizes refugees and pushes them into your member states? So first of all, the most important thing is to prevent uh, a new armed attack on Ukraine. And therefore, uh, we support all efforts by NATO allies uh, to find a political solution. And NATO is also ready to sit down in the NATO-Russia Council with Russia. If Russia decides to use force, there may, of course, be a large number of people uh, fleeing uh, Ukraine. The NATO response force, uh, the forces we are prepared to deploy, for instance, to Poland, to Romania, to other neighboring countries, uh, also have capabilities that can help to deal with uh, migrant and, and, uh, and refugee uh, crisis. So that we can assist, we'll never be the first responder when it comes to mm -hmm. refugee crisis, but we can help and, and, and assist the efforts of uh, NATO allies. And we did that already in Poland and Lithuania when we saw Belarus trying to weaponize or use uh, uh, refugees and, and migrants as a mean to, incur, uh, to in intimidate uh, these countries earlier uh, last year. Vladimir Putin personally oversaw some uh, strategic nuclear exercises yesterday. Is this an attempt to intimidate NATO? It is a way for them to uh, demonstrate uh, all the capabilities they have. Uh, uh, this is a regular exercise, but uh, it was planned for last fall, and now it happens in the midst of this uh, uh, significant Russian military buildup in and around Ukraine, with the largest concentration of combat troops you have seen in Europe since the, the end of the uh, Cold uh, War. Uh, so uh, last week, actually, Russia said that they will step back Russia is stepping up with more troops uh, and uh, uh, higher uh, and even closer to the to the Ukrainian border. And uh, also the fact that this exercise, they said, should end today, uh, will now continue. So all of this fits into the picture that Russia is mm -hmm. preparing for an invasion of uh, Ukraine. Bigger picture, though, Ukraine's president blasted the West, as you know, yesterday when he spoke at Munich. He said the security architecture of our world is brittle. It's obsolete. The West is treating Ukraine like a buffer between itself and Russia. Um, exactly what is the timeline for Ukraine's membership in NATO? We have not set any timeline for that, but NATO allies have been very clear that it is for Ukraine and 30 NATO allies to decide on membership, not Russia. And second, uh, we have provided over many years uh, significant support to Ukraine. We helped them to modernize their defense and security institutions to strengthen their cyber defenses. And NATO allies, the United States, United Kingdom, Canada and others have also provided significant training and different kinds of military equipment, defensive weapons. So the Ukrainian armed forces are much stronger now uh, with uh, better equipped, better trained uh, troops than in 2014. And this mm -hmm. is not least because of all the support that NATO allies have provided over all these years.
Mr. Secretary General, we will be watching closely what happens in the coming days. Thank you for your time this morning. And there is some breaking news out of London this morning. Queen Elizabeth has tested positive for COVID and is experiencing mild symptoms. Buckingham Palace says she will continue with a light schedule at Windsor Castle this week. She turns 96 in April. And we'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation, including both the Russian and Ukrainian ambassadors to the United States. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We go now to Russia's ambassador to the United States, Anatoly Antonov. Good morning to you, Ambassador, and thank you for coming on the program. Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting. I'll get right to it. President Biden says that President Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. Is he correct? There is no innovation and there is no such plans. It was fixed in Russian documents that we conveyed to our American friends in the State Department. Russia has publicly decided, uh, declared its uh, readiness to continue the diplomatic efforts to resolve all outstanding issues. Russian troops are on a sovereign Russian uh, territory. We don't threaten anyone. Respectfully, Ambassador, you have troops in Belarus, which is a not technically Russian territory. You have troops in Moldova. You have uh, separatists you are funding and supporting in the east of Ukraine. This is not your territory. Yes. When we are talking about Belarus, I hope that there will be an opportunity for us to discuss it. We will discuss uh, joint drills that are undergoing. They were supposed to end today. Are those troops staying in Belarus indefinitely? Uh, You see that... uh, as to the uh, United States, you have so many military bases uh, in uh, various uh, countries. As to us, we have just only a few. And we can't see any contradiction to any legally binding norms uh, on this issue. It looks like intimidation. You have over 190,000 personnel in and around Ukraine. You've got it surrounded on three borders. Uh, your words and your actions don't seem to match, sir. Uh, Again and again, I would like to say you that we have our legitimate right to have our troops where we want on Russian territory, on Russian territory. And uh, I would like to say you that uh, we are not a threat to anybody. President Zelensky says he wants to meet with President Putin. If you're interested in diplomacy, why doesn't that meeting happen? Today, the problem is not Ukraine. The problem is what kind of world order will be in the future. Uh, whether we uh, can together uh, establish a firm uh, security guarantee for everybody without undercutting very important principle of indivisible security for everybody. It means that you have no right to strengthen your security at the expense of uh, Russian Federation. And we also have no such right. It's M- clear. Mr. Such Ambassador, so Mr. Ambassador, confirmed in many documents. Okay, you didn't answer the question by about the United States and Russia. You didn't answer the question about President Putin and President Zelensky meeting. But moving on, is the big goal here for Russia ultimately to get the rest of the world to recognize Crimea as part of Russia? Is that what this is all about? Uh, an issue of Crimea is uh, solved. An issue of Crimea 
uh, is closed for us. It's a Russian territory, and we don't want uh, even to discuss this issue at all. It was not, uh, um, how to say, military operation by Russian uh, forces. Uh, it was a decision by people who live in uh, Crimea. Is Russia ultimately trying to get the rest of the world to give that portion of Ukraine over to the Russian Federation? Is that what you're trying to do here? We are not uh, trying to uh, take any territory of uh, foreign countries. I would like to confirm that Donbass and Lugansk is a part of Ukraine. Do you think your policy right now is effective given that the reaction to Russia's military buildup has been for NATO and the United States to just pour more money and more weapons into the area? Isn't that the exact opposite of what you say you're trying to do? Uh, you see that we are very much concerned what United States uh, and other NATO countries are doing. Uh, they are pumping off uh, Ukraine with a lot of weapons. You have the largest military buildup in Europe since the end of World War II. How do you expect NATO to react? Uh, you see that we did a lot of to withdraw our troops from various regions that are very close to Baltic states, uh, to uh, Eastern European states. We uh, withdraw a lot of troops from Kaliningrad uh, area and nobody even uh, said us uh, thank you. At the same time, we uh, see five ways uh, of uh, expansion of NATO. Uh, NATO has started uh, exploration, tech military technical exploration of Ukraine now. It's not possible for us to swallow. You said that there is no space for us to retreat. There is just only a Russian Federation. Well, you know now that see... President Biden has said Ukraine won't join NATO in the new, near future. And the German chancellor said it's absurd for there to be a war because Ukraine's membership in NATO isn't going to be allowed anytime soon. So why aren't statements like that good enough? We would like to put everything on the paper. We would like to see legally binding guarantees for Russian security. So we send our package of proposals. What should we do? We don't want to see next wave of expansion of NATO. You have the largest nuclear forces in the world. You have hypersonic missiles. Why are you so threatened by a defensive alliance in a country like Ukraine? Uh, we have concern not about Ukraine. We have concern regarding activities of NATO. It's a defensive we alliance. We see how NATO is not, no, come on, it's not a defensive alliance. Uh, you see that uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization is not peace-loving uh, NGO. It's political military uh, machinery or bloc. We would like to stop such expansion. We would like United States to withdraw their troops and their uh, weaponry from uh, those states because it's our life. It's our guarantees of security for our people. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming and answering questions this morning. Our interview with the Russian ambassador was taped earlier this morning before we learned from David Martin that Russian forces have actually received orders to invade. We turn now to the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, Oksana Makarova. Good morning and welcome back to the program, Ambassador. Good morning. It's always glad, happy to be here. Uh, given what we have learned, do you believe that there is still a window of opportunity to actually stop Russia from invading? Well, we will work day and night to make use of any possibility to still prevent Russia from invading. But unfortunately, what we see uh, during the last two days, for three days now, uh, tells us that contrary to what Mr. Antonov was just saying, that not only Russia amassed all these troops around the border, but they also, through their illegal armed formations in uncontrolled Donetsk and Lugansk, started series of provocations. They started shelling our civilian objects. They, we have already two people dead, 11 people wounded, and it keeps uh, going as we speak. Was it significant to you at all that he said those, that part of the East actually is part of Ukraine? Well, that part is, uh, oh, Donetsk and Lugansk is part of Ukraine. Crimea is part of Ukraine. Which he so, disagreed with, as you heard him. Well, absolutely. But here he disagrees with us and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, President Zelensky 
uh, called for a ceasefire this morning. What can you tell us about what is actually happening on the ground and, and in some of these diplomatic talks? Well, President Zelensky's main concern, main concern is to preserve the country, but also preserve every life of Ukrainian citizens. So we are using, uh, while preparing to defend our country, we're using every possibility to still choose the diplomatic path and uh, force Russia to choose the diplomatic path. So everything from the UN to OECE, to Vienna document, which we engaged uh, uh, the, the consultations on, to mm -hmm. Budapest memorandum. I mean, we are calling not only on aggressor, which is Russia, but also on all of our friends and allies to get together and use every opportunity to still deter Russia from invading. But your president, I mean, you are a diplomat, you were choosing your words carefully. Your president was very sharp with his yesterday, and he made clear that the West is not doing enough in his view. What are you asking Washington to do right now? Look, we are very grateful to the United States, to everyone, to President Biden, Vice President Harris, uh, Secretary Blinken, Congress on a bipartisan basis. We're very grateful for all the support, military support, political support, strong messages, uh, even more importantly for leadership in getting the transatlantic unity behind it and, you know, everyone getting together to support us. What we see right now is all the strong messages are yet to get Russia, not only to get out from the borders of Ukraine, but they also, during the past three days, started an offensive. Your president you know. said it was appeasement, appeasement over the past few years. Well, again, let me remind everyone, we are at war and we are under attack for the past eight years. And should harsh sanctions or harsh reactions were in place in 2014 and 2015, maybe today we would be discussing the rocket launch uh, that uh, was yesterday with the first stage from Ukrainian companies or some other uh, more peaceful uh, items to discuss. But unfortunately today uh, we are starting this morning as people are being shelled at in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, you were previously Ukraine's finance minister. You worked in the finance ministry. I know that Ukraine has come under incredible cyber attacks over the past few years, and you expect them to start up. You've already had the largest in your country's history just within the past week. What specifically do you expect to happen in the next few days? Uh, target your electrical grid, your banks, water? What should we be prepared for? Well, we expect everything, unfortunately, and we know that, uh, again, our intelligence is uh, now uh, declassifying and putting publicly a lot of information about the prepared terrorist acts on the uncontrolled territories of Donetsk and Lugansk, but also warning about all potential cyber and information attacks. So on cyber front, uh, we learned our lessons from the previous attacks during the previous eight years, and we are specifically protecting our financial, electric electrical, and other critical uh, systems for Ukraine. Uh, we can already see that a couple a week ago, when we had one of the largest attack on our financial and banking system, contrary to 2015 and 16, when these attacks uh, resulted in uh, massive breaches uh, of security and some of the banks not been operational for days, uh, this time it, it the, the majority of banks were not even affected, mm -hmm. and some of the banks were back up pretty quickly. So, again, together with the United States, we're working a lot on the cyber protection and prevention of the cyber attacks. There have been a number of reports in recent days that U.S. intelligence has evidence that Russia is creating a hit list of Ukrainians, of Belarusians, of other activists and political leaders living outside the country. Are you concerned about your own safety? Um, difficult question, but... Uh, uh, I, I think we all are concerned about Ukraine and uh, there are so many Ukrainians that are ready to resist and fight for Ukraine in Ukraine, but also outside of Ukraine. We have great community here in the United States as well, so that, um, you know, whatever they are willing, whatever crimes they are willing to commit in order to kill some of us, it will not stop others and it will not help their cause. Ambassador, thank you for your time today. Thank we'll you. Be back in a moment. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. 
Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. U.S. intelligence officials said Friday that Russia was behind this past week's cyber attacks in Ukraine that knocked banks and government websites offline. Now, there's a warning that American companies need to be on alert. For more, we go to CBS News cybersecurity expert and analyst Chris Krebs. Good morning to you. Morning, Margaret. Uh, CBS reported that the Treasury Department actually sat down with some corporate leaders, including uh, from J.P. Morgan, from Citigroup, some of the country's largest financial institutions. What do you see as the most immediate threat here in the U.S. from a cyber attack that happens, you know, in a country 5,000 miles away? Well, the U.S. government has been meeting with critical infrastructure partners now for many months. So it, it hasn't just been a last couple of weeks, as I understand it's going back as far as November or even earlier, specific to the escalation of tensions here. Uh, what they've done is look back over the last several years of where Russian security services and cyber actors have targeted U.S. infrastructure. And that's energy, that's uh, transportation, logistics and of course finance. And they're also combining it through a series of war games and scenario uh, playing scenarios playing out how the Russians may respond uh, to any sanctions we could impose. And that's, I think, where we get to the financial services uh, industry. And so that's probably at the top of the list uh, as you consider some of the sanctions we've talked about. And that would be probably the, the counter move by the Kremlin and some of those security services. So two sort of distinct threats. One, unintended consequences of spillover and the other if Russia decides to target the United States. What exactly is the cyber doctrine of the Biden administration? Do you know? Well, I think I think that's unclear. I think uh, it's probably a continuation of the prior administration where we enabled the cyber command uh, actors and some of those other operators to go out over there under the defend forward and persistent engagement uh, philosophy to get into the networks of our adversaries, to understand where they are, where they're going, and to put sand in their gears, so to speak, and add friction to their operations. So they're too busy cleaning up their mess over there rather than, than coming here. And I think we're seeing a bit of that uh, forward, uh, defend forward mission manifesting in some of the recent disclosures. Uh, the White House briefed on this Friday, um, and the cyber director said that while there's no uh, credible threat at this exact moment, if the U.S. is hit, we are prepared to respond. The president himself said, if American companies are hit, we will respond. What does a response look like? Do, would we even know it happened? That, that's, I think that's a great question of whether it would be an overt or a covert. And it's not necessarily that it would be cyber for cyber, so to speak. You may see uh, economic measures. You may see diplomatic measures in response uh, to any sort of cyber activity against U.S. Uh, infrastructure. But at a minimum, what I would expect is, again, targeting of the systems, the infrastructure that the Russian operators use to conduct their attacks and make it so that they cannot do a follow-up attack using that, that same known infrastructure. How, um, you know, more broadly, in terms of the strategy of the Biden administration, what do you think of their decision to declassify uh, this cyber attack, which they did pretty darn quickly, and some of the other intelligence um, that they've picked up? Well, first, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that, as I mentioned earlier, they, they've had a fairly forward-leaning engagement uh, effort with infrastructure partners, with industry to protect uh, domestic systems here at home. As recently as last Saturday, CISA, the agency that, that I led in the last administration, 
uh, released their Shields Up campaign, which provides resources to protect systems here in the US. But more importantly, and I say this as a, a former uh, counteractive measures aficionado in the government, I've been really impressed with how they have proactively called out the uh, bad activity, the malign activity of the Russian government to, uh, again, delay some of their efforts. I mean, this is a, a rapid declassification that in years past, particularly on cyber activities, has taken months, if not mm -hmm. a year or more. We're seeing it happen in a matter of hours. And it's, it's, a, it's a dedicated effort, it's purposeful, and it's, uh, I hope we see more of it in the future. How would you assess NATO's ability to respond to a cyber attack? You heard Secretary Blinken say, you know, it is something that will be addressed. What would NATO do? Do they even have a plan? Well, NATO has capabilities and they've, de they've declared that cyber falls under the a cyber attack rather on a member would fall under the Article 5 uh, provisions that would enable them as a as NATO as a, as a, uh, as a team to uh, respond to an attack on a NATO member. But it's not clear what that looks like just in, in practice, at least just yet. The language in Article 5 is, is about restoring stability and restoring security, as well as just the threshold matter of an attack would have to be uh, intentional and dedicated likely on a NATO member. So at this point, not Ukraine, uh, but instead, uh, perhaps Poland, the US or, or anyone else. But in the meantime, NATO can provide support teams for defensive purposes. And the U.S. has been supporting Ukrainian cyber, cyber efforts for quite some time uh, to help uh, bolster those networks, as you just heard the ambassador talk about some of the focus that they've had improving their cybersecurity. All right. Chris Krabs, thank you for the warning to be on alert. Appreciate your time today. And we want to take a look at the impact that the Ukraine crisis and some of the spillover we just talked about could have on our economy if Russia escalates. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger joins us. Jill, we just laid out a lot, um, but in terms of the, the threat to American corporations and the uncertainty that we now have confronting the U.S. economy, how do you think this plays out? Well, I think this has a far-reaching economic consequence, potentially. And it really starts with the flow of everything from petroleum products to maybe agricultural products like wheat or maybe iron ore and aluminum. These products, these commodities have been soaring in price. And I think those higher prices are really going to make people think twice. Now, when we talk about the businesses, businesses truly have a real issue here because they may pull back on their spending. They may be worried about the supply chain. We just heard Chris Krebs talk about these cybersecurity threats. All of this put together weighs on so much of the economy. And I think what is clear is that investors have really started to pay attention to this over the last week or so. Markets had been selling off earlier in January, but we've seen a real escalation of fear creep into the marketplace. Right now, the S&P 500 through Friday's close is down about 9.3% from the high reached in early January, very close to the correction. I think these jitters are really gonna keep some folks up over the next week or so. And how do you think this will impact the Federal Reserve's decision on interest rates and that fight to get control of inflation. Well, I think this puts the Fed in a pickle because we are looking at a situation that could slow down all the progress, the economic progress that we've seen. It could slow things down in the future. And yet, the Ukrainian situation is inflationary at its at its core. And that means that these 40-year highs that we've seen in inflation here in the U.S., those high levels are due to persist. No wonder the Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell said that they're monitoring the situation closely. Mm -hmm. I think they're in a tough situation, Margaret, in that they are truly forced to raise interest rates next month to contain prices. And yet that could be happening as the economy is slowing down. Jill, it'll keep you busy. I know. Thank you for your analysis today. <laughs>
That's it for us today. Stay with us on CBS on the broadcast network and our CBS News streaming service as well as cbsnews.com for all the latest on Russia and Ukraine. For Face the Nation, we'll see you next week. I'm Marta Brennan. Today's guests were Secretary of State Antony Blinken, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, Russian Ambassador to the U.S. Anatoly Antonov, Ukrainian Ambassador to the U.S. Oksana Markarova, CBS News cybersecurity expert and analyst Chris Krebs, and CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.